How about now, folks? <laughs> I forgot to turn on the mic. Oh, uh, let's see. Come on. Come on. You guys are lagging. Anyway, I, it should be working now. <clears throat> Got it now. All right. So I'll do that again. Welcome, folks. This is Joseph E. Farrell with News and Views from the Nefarium on Thursday, 2020. And <laughs> this one's going to be a classic. Uh, let me do the house cleaning first. No vid chat tomorrow. Uh, there will be a vid chat a week from tomorrow on Friday, May 29th. That'll be at uh, 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time. Uh, the new book, The Tower of Babel Moment, is out on Lulu. Uh, you can check the homepage of the website. Just scroll down. You'll see a picture of the book. You can uh, get the book on Lulu. It'll link right to it. And our first members dialogue uh, is up in the members area. Uh, we had a nice three-hour long uh, discussion with our member Katie B. in the United Kingdom. So anyway, that's, that's the housekeeping. And I've decided to call this episode, and I, I don't normally give these episodes titles, but this one I'm going to call The Wit and Wisdom and Cheney-esque Charm of George Soros, who has finally, on May 11th, a few days ago, weighed in on the Fauci-Lieber-Wuhan virus hysteria narrative, okay? And uh, this is, I'll put the link to this interview. And the interview, interestingly enough, is, is given at a website that deals with insiders, okay? And this interview was conducted on May 11th, 2020 by Gregor Peter Schmitz. And it's called The Crisis of a Lifetime. Um, the volume is up as far as I can turn it up. Anyway, um, how about that? Is that better? Somebody said turn the volume up, and I noticed uh, this happened on the recording we did the other day, and the volume was very low. So anyway, you sound good. All right. So let's get started with this. Um, this interview is quite lengthy, and I want to give a bit of background as to why I'm talking about this, because... Um, a couple of weeks ago, I did the quarterly report with Catherine Austin Fitz, and I told her that it was my opinion that this whole virus thing was, in her words, a pandemic. In other words, this is an artificially created, media-driven, false crisis, Okay. I am not saying that the virus is not real, nor am I saying that people are not really suffering and dying from it. But the statistics of deaths and the hysteria and response to this are way out of proportion. And it's clear to anyone, I think, with half a brain that this virus is being used to accomplish several geopolitical and political objectives. The two, in my opinion, at the head of the list are to cripple China, and particularly Mr. Xi's government, and also to cripple the Trump administration. 
and also to drive international institutions of response and to drive other agendas in means that they want to accomplish, such as mandatory vaccination with a set of vaccines that is, in my opinion, highly questionable. I would urge you all, if you have not seen the movie Vaxxed or its sequel, to go out, buy them, don't rent them, buy them, and actually watch them and have your friends watch them. Because in America, as in many other countries, vaccines are not held to anywhere near the same standard of exactitude in testing as our pharmaceutical drugs, believe it or not. So in other words, an already corrupt industry is even more corrupt when it comes to vaccines. So anyway, we're talking about George Soros, the other billionaire busybody, in addition to Mr. Bale Gates, as I've taken to calling him lately, the Bale and Malicious Gates Foundation, but Soros has finally weighed in and shared his wit and wisdom with the world on the coronavirus story. And I want you to listen to his remarks in the context of what I just said about what I think this whole thing is. It's a pandemic deliberately designed to accomplish several political goals. In, in, in fact, I think this was part of a plan for a very long time. I think they planned to unleash it if Darth Hillary had been elected president. And I suspect that they dusted off the plan and tweaked it a bit and decided, well, let's go ahead and do this anyway. We can still accomplish the objective. So anyway, I want you to keep all of that in mind as you listen to George Soros respond to questions in this interview. And the, I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs. I'm going to skip around. I'll link the interview. You can read the whole thing. I want you to listen to a couple of paragraphs here because right up front in his usual Soros-esque way is confirming that this whole thing is a crisis of opportunity at the minimum to accomplish some social engineering goals that he would like to see. So the article is titled The Crisis of a Lifetime. Gregor Peter Schmitz asks, you have seen many crises. Is the COVID-19 pandemic comparable to any previous one? Soros. No. This is the crisis of my lifetime. Even before the pandemic hit, I realized, listen to his words, even before the pandemic hit, I realized that we were in a revolutionary moment where what would be impossible or even inconceivable in normal times had become not only possible, but probably absolutely necessary. And then came COVID-19, which has totally disrupted people's lives and required very different behavior. Really, does it require different behavior? Are we to believe the narrative that we're all to go around social distance, which is the new social engineering meme, and wear masks, which increase your carbon dioxide level, lower your oxygen level, which actually is the environment, supposedly, that the virus feeds on. So in other words, we're doing something that actually causes more harm, according to some physicians, than good. But anyway. You can tell I'm 
riled and worked up about this. It is an unprecedented event that probably has never occurred in this combination. And it really endangers the survival of our civilization. Does it really? Gregor Peter Schmitz, will this crisis change the nature of capitalism? Even before COVID-19 led to the current catastrophic recession, the downsides of globalization and free trade were attracting greater attention. Soros. We will not go back to where we were when the pandemic started. That is pretty certain. But that is the only thing that is certain. Everything else is up for grabs. I do not think anybody knows how capitalism will evolve. Okay, now stop and ponder that one, folks. The meme that's being driven throughout this whole pandemic crisis is the narrative that things will never return or be the way they were before. And I ask, is that really true? Is that really even necessary? And folks, my friends, you can call me crazy or whatever names you want to call me. I answer that it is absolute codswallop to think that or believe it because the fear narrative is what is driving all of this. And Soros is telling us right here in his own words that he's, number one, buying into this crisis of opportunity, and number two, everything else is up for grabs. We don't know what capitalism is going to look like. In other words, we don't know what the institutions of this civilization are going to look like, financially speaking, except later on he gives us a bit of a hint. Okay, so in other words, he is later in this interview coming right out and telling you, yes, we are admitting we've orchestrated this to drive certain agendas. And one of the things that's happening as a result of this is they are changing the social or attempting to. And all we have to do is say absolutely not. Okay, but they're attempting to change the social agenda. All right. And um, Salinator Felix says, I'm waiting for the day Joseph finally realized the good guys lost World War II, and that's why we have transgender children today. Read something first before you make a comment like that. All right. Continuing. Soros says, this makes everything much harder. There are a lot of people who say that what we should be working that we should be ver working very closely with China but I'm not in favor of doing that. We must protect our open democratic society at the same time. We must find a way to cooperate on fighting climate change and the novel coronavirus. Did you hear that? We must find a way to fight climate change and the novel coronavirus. Now, look at that linkage, folks. What he's telling you right there is, number one, that climate change is, as most people know, the, the globalist's uh, 
environmental darling issue. I don't believe it, folks. And you can call me whatever names you want to call me. But this is their way of creating a semi-permanent crisis that requires semi-permanent institutions to deal with. And by the way, lots of money. Okay? So he's linked a semi-permanent issue to the coronavirus. And right there he's telling you that the coronavirus, and if you listen to the media, particularly in this country, they are trying to create the impression that this coronavirus is, number one, new, but it's going to be with us forever, <laughs> okay? And therefore, we're going to have to create institutions and modify behaviors to deal with this forever. And if it's a crisis that goes on forever, they can then in turn modify or, or advocate for new behaviors or institutions as they see fit, okay? So in other words, Soros is telling us Get ready, folks. We're going to use this thing and and ride this horse until it drops dead of over-exercise. At the same time, he goes on, we must find a way to cooperate on fighting climate change and the novel coronavirus. That won't be easy. I sympathize with the Chinese people because they are under the domination of a dictator, President Xi Jinping. True enough. I think a lot of educated Chinese are very resentful that you, you think, George? And the general public is still very angry with him for keeping COVID-19 a secret until after the Chinese New Year. Gregor Peter Schmitz. Well, could Xi's power weaken as the Chinese come to recognize that the handling of the crisis was suboptimal? <laughs> Soros. Very much so. When Xi abolished term limits and named himself, in essence, president for life, he destroyed the political future of the most important and ambitious men in a very narrow and competitive elite. It was a big mistake on his part. So, yes, he's very strong in a way, but at the same time extremely weak and now perhaps vulnerable. The struggle within the Chinese leadership is something I follow very closely because I'm on the side of those who believe in an open society. And there are many people in China who are very much in favor of an open society, too. In other words, he's kind of loosely confirming what I've suspected may have been one of, not the only, but one of the principal objectives of this whole pandemic operation, and that is regime change in China, a weakening of Mr. Xi's government to the point where his uh, competitors may decide to topple him and take over. Continuing, Gregor Peter Schmitz, then again, the current U.S. president does not really represent the values of an open and free society. Soros, well, that is a weakness that I hope will not last very long. Donald Trump would like to be a dictator, but he cannot be one because there is a constitution in the United States that people still respect. And it will prevent him, people like Peter Strzok and, you know, Andrew McCabe, and it will prevent him from doing certain things. That does not mean that he will not try because he is literally fighting for his life. 
I will also say I've put my faith in Trump to destroy himself and that he has exceeded my wildest expectations. Now, folks, I'm taking that as kind of a veiled threat. Um, when someone of Soros's stature within the Mr. Globaloney community says something like that, I tend to sit up and take notice. But now we come to the real game, at least as far as Mr. Soros in all of his Cheney-esque charm is concerned. Peter Schmitz asks, what role does the European Union, your home that you care about so much, play in this power struggle? Listen carefully, folks. I'm setting up something huge here. Soros. I'm particularly concerned about the survival of the EU because it is an incomplete union. It was in the process of being created, but the process was never completed, and that makes Europe exceptionally vulnerable, more vulnerable than the U.S., not just because it is in an incomplete union, but also because it's based on the rule of law. <laughs> no, George, it's called the rule of Brussels regulators. And the wheels of justice move very slowly while threats such as COVID-19 virus move very fast. That creates a particular problem for the European Union. Gregor Peter Schmitz, Germany's federal constitutional court exploded a bombshell last week with its latest ruling on the European Central Bank. How seriously do you take it? Soros, I take it extremely seriously. The ruling poses a threat that could destroy the European Union as an institution based on the rule of law, <laughs> precisely because it was delivered by the German Constitutional Court, which is the most highly respected institution in Germany. Before it delivered its verdict, it had consulted with the European Court of Justice and then decided to challenge it. So you now have a conflict between the German Constitutional Court and the European Court of Justice. Which court has precedence. I'm skipping now a little bit. Listen carefully. Gregor, Gregor Peter Schmitz. Will the European Central Bank need to change its policies after this ruling? Soros. Folks, fasten on your thinking caps and listen very carefully and put his answer in the context of everything he's previously said and everything I said by way of context. And particularly, <coughs> oh, pardon me, <coughs> oh, pardon me, particularly his coupling of climate change and coronavirus. Listen carefully. Will the, <coughs> pardon me, my throat is very dry. Will the European Central Bank need to change its policies after this ruling? Soros, not necessarily. The ruling only requires the European Central Bank to justify its current monetary policies. It has been given three months to justify the actions it has taken. That will consume a lot of the European Central Bank's attention when it is the only really functioning institution in Europe that can provide the financial resources needed to combat the pandemic. Therefore, it should focus its attention on helping Europe to establish a recovery fund. Gregor Peter Schmitz. 
Do you have any suggestions where these resources could come from? Soros. I have proposed that the European Union should issue perpetual bonds. Although I now think they should be called consoles because perpetual bonds have been successfully used under that name by Britain since 1751 and the United States since the 1870s. Perpetual bonds have become confused with corona bonds, which have been rejected by the European Council and with good reason because they imply a mutualization of accumulated debts that the member states are unwilling to accept. Now, what he's talking about there, folks, is in the EU, what's causing part of the financial crisis is that the southern countries have created massive debt through huge uh, quasi-socialist economies with lots of public welfare. And countries like Germany or the Netherlands or Norway are simply not willing to have their taxpayers foot the bill for other countries' internal policies. That's basically what he's talking about. That's called debt mutualization. All right. The German court said the European Central Bank's actions were legal because they adhered to the requirement that its bond purchases were proportional to the member state's shareholding in the European Central Bank. But the clear implication was that any European Central Bank purchases that were not proportional to the European Central Bank capital key could be challenged and deemed ultra vires by the court. The kind of bonds that I have proposed would sidestep this problem because they would be issued by the European Union as a whole and would be proportional and would remain so eternally. In other words, Soros is using the crisis, folks, to drive the European Union together by having the European Union itself issue bonds, which it currently does not do, and have those bonds be perpetual bonds, okay? Remember, the crisis, climate change, coronavirus, those are semi-perpetual crises, okay? They're always going to be with us in some form or fashion. Therefore, we need funds, and I'm sorry my sinuses are going ballistic. We need funds in perpetuity to combat these crises, we need to indebt you even more in order to help you. <laughs> you got you to gotta be amazed at this man. He is shameless. The member states, listen to this. The member states would have to pay only the annual interest, which is so minimal, say 0.5% that the bonds could easily be subscribed by the member states either unanimously or by a coalition of the willing. In other words, if we've got a perpetual crisis and we need money to deal with it, those perpetual bonds may be at 0.5% interest now. But what are they going to be in 30 years, George, when you use these perpetual crises to issue more and more bonds and more and more debt and more and more interest that the member states and their taxpayers have to pay. 
Oh, my. Console bonds could provide these amounts if the EU member states authorize them. Unfortunately, Germany and the Hanseatic lead states, led by the Netherlands, are adamantly opposed. Well, good for them. They should think again. The EU is now considering doubling its budget, which would provide only about 100 billion euros and yield only one-tenth of the benefit that perpetual bonds could provide. Those who want to keep their EU budget contribution to a minimum ought to support consuls. They would have to authorize certain taxes like a financial transaction tax that would provide the EU with its own resources, assuring its AAA rating, but the taxes would not have to be imposed. Their place would be taken by consuls. Both of these parties and the rest of Europe would be much better off, and so on and so forth. You get the idea. Now, folks, as far as I'm concerned, you may disagree with me. Fine, if you want to disagree, but please, you know, uh, do so tactfully and don't say ridiculous things like I don't know what transhumanism is or real sides that lost World War II without reading all 39 of my books and familiarizing yourself with what I really think about things. But in my opinion, Mr. Soros has, with this interview, basically confirmed the idea that in his view, at the minimum, this is a crisis of opportunity. But if you look at what he's really saying, he's been thinking about this for a long time. And this is part of the plan. And so as far as he's concerned, this is a pandemic for him and his globalist cronies to get certain new financial instruments and institutions into play. And it's about nothing more than that. And it's also about, if you listen to him carefully, making this crisis perpetual in order to give them the power, because climate change didn't really work for them, did it? But this one appears to be working, and they want to make it perpetual so that they can use it as a crisis not only to drive financial institutions and and create new types of, of financial mechanisms, but also use the crisis to drive a perpetual social engineering experiment, which they can modify at their pleasure. So if you read between the lines of what he said, he's basically told us that this has been all along a pandemic. All right, folks, that's it. <laughs> and I'm sorry I'm ranting, but, you know, when when Bale or, or Malicious Gates gets on television and start talking about how they're going to save the world with their vaccines, uh, just like he did in India or Africa, uh, I tend to be skeptical. When billionaire busybodies start talking about their wonderful ideas and how they're going to help people, no, they are, these people are led by greed and power, and they're only interested in helping themselves. And they've got now they think, the perfect tool to drive all of this. My answer, just say no. Think Gandhi. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, that's it, folks. No vid chat tomorrow. Remember, the vid chat's next week. Uh, the new book, uh, number 38 or 39, I don't, I've lost count of my books, uh, The Tower of Babel Moment, uh, is on Lulu, so 
uh, it's already had some interesting comment. So anyway, we'll see you next week, folks. Bye-bye. God bless. Uh, see you on the flip side.